Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and part two of our latest conversation with Jeff Ogilvy. Jeff and I discuss how he adapted to some of the new technology that came on tour during his career. Uh, we talk about Riviera, the golf course, and, and a little bit about the tournament. And then also we talk at length about slow play and the different solutions that are actually feasible that could help speed things up on the PGA Tour. Now, without further ado, here is part two of our conversation with Jeff Ogilvy. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. What what do you think about the elevated status? What, elevated uh, status, WGC players, gold standard, FedEx. Is is this becoming a, too many tiers? Well, I think it's it's just a bit sort of it's marketing speak, right? Um, and really, it's sponsors want different levels right certain sponsors come in and they've got more money than some of the other ones or whatever they got more money to spend and they're like i want my tournament bigger i'll give you more money make it bigger and and potavita has always been very like kind of trying to have everyone get the same deal for their money you know you can't buy a better deal really but you kind of can now with these tiers right so the invitation i think it's good to have invitationals i think it's good to have uh, tournaments that the guys who played great the year before get into and maybe the guys who didn't play so great the year before or younger guys don't get into. I think there should be – I think I, I like – as a player, as a young player, I thought it was great. First get on tour, I get you get into all these and I aspired to get in the Phoenix Open and, and to, to LA because they were difficult to get into. I then aspired to get into Colonial and Memorial because that was a real benchmark of, oh, I was playing really well if I got into those, you know, and then – Above that level, you aspire to get into the majors and all that. I think for a player, I think the tier thing is good. Um, does it make any difference historically to like the level of the tournament? No. I think in the LA Open is the LA Open. I don't really call what you call it. It's a cool tournament to win. I don't care what level it's like, – like what level it measures in Bonavidra's eyes. The LA Open is the LA Open for me. And the Phoenix Open is the Phoenix Open. And Colonial is Colonial and – the Nelson is the Nelson and Memorial's Jack's tournament and all that. Like a Canadian Open to me might not be on that high level, but for me, historically, I think the Canadian Open will be the one that stands up as many as any of them because it's the Canadian Open, you know. Um, so I'm more of a romantic. That was a long answer, but uh, <laughs> I don't mind the levels. I think it's good to have, as I said, like slightly more elite fields spotted through the year. I really do. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's cool when everybody's at an event, you know, that's, that's, those are cool events. Like, I, I don't know, to me, like the players is so, so you got the best field in golf and you can tell the tour wants it to be a major, like that's very clear. And it, in, in many ways it should be what's then it, the world ranking points, they don't even give up. It's the best field in golf. 
and you don't get you get less world ranking points for winning the players than you do a major. How's that? Like, doesn't make any sense to me. But you're not just playing against the field when you play the Masters. You're playing against history. You're playing against. It's different. It's harder. You can't tell me it's not harder to win the Masters than it is the Players Championship. It just is. Sorry, mentally at least. Mentally at least, it, it just is. Like. Physically, the field is better at Sawgrass, but the Open, the US Open, the Masters, they're elevated and everybody knows it. You know, the nerves are different on the Sunday morning at both those two tournaments completely. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the way I see it. But see, the, the, uh, the players, the best thing that Jay could do or the tour could do is say every single year, sit there on the Tuesday when he does his State of the Union or whatever it is and say, look, this is not a major stop calling it one. This is not a major stop calling one. Just keep refusing the major status. No, it's not a major. This is our biggest tournament. Not a major. Not a ma- Eventually, they'll force him to make it a major. Jay, you can't deny it anymore. It's a major. You have to call it a major. You know, I think if you try to make it one, the press aren't going to have it. But if you if you argue the point and say no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not, they're going to force you to make it, make it, make it a major. Again, that's what I would do. Idiots like me are eventually are going to talk myself into it being a major, versus versus revolting when they push it down my throat that it is one. You know, someone someone's going to come out like Bergie in the room or something and say, "Stop, refuse this. It's a major. Stop arguing. This is a major." Brandel will come out and say, "I don't care what you say, Jay. This is a major." You know, and all of a sudden, that's how it becomes one. I mean, Jones and Clifford Roberts didn't set out to have a major. They set out to have a good tournament. Yeah. You know, the US Open, that, it got called a major eventually because it was the governing body, the same as the Open and the PGA. The governing bodies kind of got the important tournaments because um, they were the old ones. But no one set out to have this major thing. Um, and it's so neat. Four majors is neat, you know. It's symmetrical, you know, um, if that matters even. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It aligns with like tennis too. Tennis has four majors. Yeah, and Grand Slam, the impregnable quadrilateral. And it's like, it's just kind of cool that it's five, but I still think it can become a major and it should become a major. But I think the best way, the fastest way to do that is to just to say that it isn't. It's <laughs> a great point. I Because then... Everybody makes the argument it is instead of everybody making the argument why it isn't. It's yes, it, you get you get people to make the argument for you. It, you were just talking about nerves, like Sunday nerves. Is the Masters the the most? Was it or is it equal with like across the major? Like where is there a moment when you were like most nervous before a round? The Masters, the first time I played for sure. Um, and periods when you walk up to the 12th tee for, on a windy day for the, one of the first few times. It's a nervous-making course um, outside of uh, just it being the Masters. It's just a nervy kind of course because there's train wrecks everywhere and there's really big-time shots you have to take on. You know, they're hitting it onto the 15th green is where the three iron is. You wouldn't try it in any other situation, any other course ever. It's a ridiculous shot. It's like a three iron on top of a like a Volkswagen Beetle in a crosswind, downwind. Like it's just downhill. It's like it's crazy. But you you hit it because you have to. So, and the only way to hit it well is to not be nervous. But it makes you nervous, that course, plus the Masters. So that's a nervous-making place. 
because it can go so wrong if you hit a bad shot. The PGA and the Players Championship for me are normal ner- would be normal nerves, you know, just amped up a little bit from a normal tournament. But once you get out in the course, a bit away. The Open's a bit similar. I think I've never really had a chance at the Open in the last few holes, so I can't really speak to the Open. Um, but the US Open, that, that makes you pretty nervous too. Because that one, <laughs> walking to the first tee on Saturday or Sunday, I mean, you could shoot 85 without even thinking about it. Like it could get really ugly at a US Open. That's the, and you you just want to make pars before you make bogeys, you know, because once it's going the wrong way, it's there's no birdies, so it's hard to come back. So it's it's in, it's the intimidation of the setup that makes it so nervy. But Augusta, as a general rule, I mean, you get don't you get butterflies just driving in the gate? Like it's just that sort of place. You know, some of us haven't driven in the gate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're, sorry. You're, yeah, one, a... <laughs> you're one of the few people that has. So, I don't think a, I don't think a lot of the the listening audience has has felt that way. Um, no. But uh, the yeah, I I, I think I wrote, I wrote about the U.S. Open last year when they had the debacle, and I wrote like I think from week to week the two, there there's a line with professional golf and it's getting smaller and smaller, like thinner and thinner. And one of the things with the USGA is that they get close to the line. Sometimes they might go over, but at least they're close to it versus, you know, week in, week out PGA Tour isn't, they never approach to the line for the most part. No, as, as a player, the the PGA Tour setup people are, Genius at avoiding controversy. I have never had an outrageous pin, really, or a complete like a, a, a failure or a set like a disaster because of setup on PGA Tour setup ever. US Open almost every single time there's a disaster because of setup, almost every time. But what the PGA Tour what that does is because they never get anywhere near the line, it might be a slightly boring setup, you know which is pretty normal for the tour, but they, they don't want the course to be the story. They want the players to be the story. And I understand that. So they're good at what they do. The USGA are completely out to lunch with setting up the US Open. No? I, I mean, <laughs> I, think they, I think they have their problems, but I don't think that, I think that, to a certain extent, the tournament setup people's job is to get a little bit under the skin of the players. If nobody Maybe, compl- the- if nobody yeah. complains, like think about back when golf was founded, it 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 was fair. The fair police to me are are just the worst. You know, not, this is not about fair, but but that I'm is. I don't mind unfair. I've I don't been, mind unfair. I've been there. I've, I've you know I've come off of a state am and I've you know you get to know this tournament setup and I, and I what about that pin you know? But then you think about it, it's like it might have been a little ridiculous, but at least it was testing. But if if you get a guy who clearly loves Mickelson, clearly loves the tournament. 
loves Shinnecock Hills. All he wants to do is win the US Open. Doing something like he did. Yeah. That's 25 years of like history in his head and he's just over it. Like for someone like Phil to do what he did, he's just clearly snapped, completely snapped. I just think it's a shame. We don't know the name of the setup guy for any other tournament in the world. Why is the setup guy for the USGA USGA always the most famous guy there? We don't. (laughs) Who's, who sets up the Open Championship in Britain? Marty, Marty Sleeps. Well, you know his name, but how many other people know his name? Like, <laughs> He's got the best name in the world. Martin, Marty Sleeps. Martin Slumbers. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know that, and it's very, it's not yeah. really referenced on the broadcast, and the, and, and it's just we play Carnoustie the way Carnoustie is this year. It's brown and it's dry, and next year it'll be green, whatever. But that's... Yeah. The USGA... They they can't get out. They're always the story. That for that that's the sense. I mean, they they, they get ninety eight percent of the setup right. I thought Chambers Bay was great. They lost the greens. Shinnecock was obviously borderline. They just pushed it a little too far. They they actually get in a perfect place really for what they want, but then they can never live well enough alone, and they always push it too far. And Davis or the setup guy, Meeks Davis. And the course and the setup ends to be all anyone seems to talk about in the golf channel every Friday, Saturday night. The tournament doesn't get talked about. And I think that's a shame because but, it's all about the golf course. But think about this. Think about Aaron Hills. Perfect setup. And then any Four. every all everybody talked about was how too easy it was. And all it was was really that it was a par 72 instead of par 70. Pretty much. No one actually mentions that. That's the funny thing about the sh- the shots relative to par, which the USGA say they don't mind about, but they clearly like an even par-ish kind of score, right, on the board. Um, that seems to be their goal. The way we play now and the way people hit it, like Brooks and Fleetwood and Rory and everyone, to get Shinnecock Hills, to get people to shoot around even par, you have to do something completely crazy. So they need to – I don't – Get away from this even par thing. Because the argument that par has anything to do with the difficulty of a golf course is is comical. I mean, you can make Oakmont a par 80. It's now an easy course in that measure because mm-hmm. I'll break 80. I'll break par every time I play it. If you make, a, I don't know, one of the Indian wells in Palm Springs that we used to play and everyone used to shoot 65, if you make that a par 60, it's now the hardest course in the world. And neither of them have changed, you know. So the... That's how nonsensical the the par argument is. That's speaking of this is a perfect segue into the the Vic Open. Oh yes, yeah, that, that's something positive. That was great. That was like a legitimate storyline. Was you know the the men are shooting lower to par than the 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 women, but you're playing completely different golf courses from a yardage standpoint. So it it wasn't like they weren't shooting. It was a different golf course. Like they weren't at the same golf course, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the event. How was it? It was good. It's a cool event. I mean, I guess for anyone who didn't pay any attention, I mean, it's men and women playing the same, playing concurrent tournaments at the same time, um, at the same place. And so we would alternate groups for the same prize money too. It was one and a half million for each. First European tour for the men, European and Australian tour for the men, and LPGA and Australian tour for the women. Um, a decent field, considering, um, on both sides. 
So your alternate groups, you, there's two courses. So there's 300 and what's that? 12 players, two full fields. Um, Thursday, Friday. So you play. This 13th beach has two courses. There's a beach course and a creek course. So you play the beach course once and a creek course on the first two days. And each group, there's three men and three women, three men and three women. That's how the groups go. So it's cool. You, you're kind of up close with the girl, the LPGA players, and they're up close with us, even though we're still playing our tournament at the same time. Did you play? That was great. Did, really. you, did you play practice rounds intermixed? I think there were some. Um, of guys who knew some girls and stuff, but we don't, it's amazing how few how, I'd get on the range and there's Christina Kim. And I feel like I know Christina Kim, but I'd never met her before because you watch them on TV all the time and you feel like you should know half these people. And you just, we just never come across each other. That what was really cool about it. Um, they liked the range and they liked the putting green, the girls. Wow. Do they grind? Oh, um, Geez, they work hard. One afternoon we came in after the Pro-Am, I think it was like 6 o'clock or something, finished the Pro-Am in the afternoon, and there was 30 people on the putting green, 30 players, and 28 of them were the girls, which I found interesting, uh, grinding away. But it was fun, and the, and the spectators are on the course. On the, on the, there's no ropes. So it's obviously it's not like the Phoenix Open, so there's not 150,000 people out there, but there was a nice amount of people, and they just kind of walked around with us, really. A few marshals here and there to kind of keep them off the greens and stuff, but basically they just walked with us. It was great. I saw your interview after the first round where you were talking about playing with a crowd and how how much different it was. It's in, it's enjoyable. It's also I knew quite a, a few of the people who were coming with me because uh, my parents actually used to live on that golf course and I kind of – half knew a lot of the people in the crowd. So it was kind of just, it was like playing this, the club championship at your club or something. You had some members and friends following you around up close and they'd kind of come and look in your bag to see if you hit five iron or six iron. And um, they were really respectful and polite and they would have got a much better sense for the level of our play because they're right there. They're not off to the side. It's hard to watch golf from the side, I find. Um, Behind is a good place to watch golf, right? You, it's like it's like being behind the pitcher and behind the plate in baseball. It's easier to see the pitch. Um, golf is the same, and they're kind of close, and I think they get a better feel for the sound it makes and like kind of how we go about it. I thought it was great, and I enjoyed it. They were polite. Um, gives, it gives a smaller crowd event more atmosphere because it feels like you're in a bigger crowd because they're closer. That makes sense? Yeah. It, in a way, it, was, it, it seems like more throwback – all the great exhibitions that used to happen. You know, like I was reading about, I think it was like Hogan played Nicholas at Prairie Dunes and I saw some pictures and you know, you got, you got 200 people around the screen. It's like, how cool would that be? You know, you get, you get 200 people at a club to watch some club championships at bigger clubs. And it's mm-hmm. just, a, it's like the coolest way to watch golf. I mean, I went to the U.S. Senior Women's Open, and it was no ropes at Chicago Golf, and it was mm. un, it was unbelievable. It was the best spectating event I've, I've been to ever for golf for a, it is many reasons. Beyond, it is by far the best way to watch golf. Um, I would like to see them try it a few different places, a few more times, other places. I don't. It's obviously there's a there'd be a limit to how many people you can do it with you would get uh 
it would get pretty crazy, I think, at a certain level of people. But you could rope off the tees and the greens, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. quite little tight rings. And then because the walking along the fairway with the players and being close when they, like, pick the club and talk to their caddy and, like, people like that stuff. As long as they're polite about it, it's fun to play in too because there's a bit more atmosphere. Um it's great. It'd be good to see it replicated somewhere else. I mean, there might be too many security concerns and stuff in a lot of places, but um, that would be a shame because it's great. Well, what was it like? And the, and the girls at the same tournament was great too. What was it like looking forward and back and having the women in front and back as opposed to like, was it, were you watching shots more come into greens? Uh-huh. I turned around and watched them hit in all the time, actually. Um Interest. I was just interested to see how they play, really, because again, I watch quite a bit of uh, the girls' golf on TV, but TV doesn't do golf justice, right? So, I mean, it's enjoyable to watch, but it, you don't hear the sound and what's their ball flight like, and do they really spin it, and how many head covers do they have in their bag, and <laughs> all the questions that guys probably always have about their game. But they don't. The, the good. LPJ players that I they don't miss a shot. They're way better ball strikers than us. Um, it's clearly not going as far, but I mean they're just machines. They just just hit at the flag all day with hybrids and three with three woods and so it just goes straight to the pin all day. It's amazing. It's it was interesting. I was looking at that um, the USGA distance report and their increase on the LPGA tour in the last 20 years for distance is three yards. Really? Wow. That's uh, this, the, the feeling on tour has amongst the players has always been, there's a threshold that only a few people get over. You know, you get to some sort of swing speed threshold of that all of a sudden the equipment explodes for you. So clearly that might back that argument up. That's, you know. that's kind of what I took away from it too, is that there's like, and, and by that argument, then, you know, 99.9% of the general public is not getting that, that gain. No, because I don't know about the numbers. Like I haven't done anything like this, but like say in the hundred meters, the, the women are whatever, 10% behind or whatever, 10 seconds to nine seconds to 10 seconds or whatever it is, or 10 to 11 or whatever. Like it's, there's a, there's a reasonable ratio of kind of where women sit strength wise, you know, in other sports, it feels like golf. They've always been quite a lot further behind in golf than other sports. Would you think that? I don't know. That's that stat seems to say that too, but maybe it's the equipment that's being built for 120 mile an hour clubhead speeds. Maybe I don't know. That's, but they flushes. They hit it straight. They flushes. That's an interesting one, though, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Charleston. They're playing Charleston Country Club U.S. Women's Open at Rainer. So they have their big Redan. There's a lion's mouth out there. I'm I'm really excited to to see them play that place. Yeah, and because I mean they're they were athletic. They're athletic freaks, but like uh, freaks like athletically talented. The, the great athlete, female athletes from other sports would hit the ball 300 yards, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and we get Lexi Thompson and Michelle Wee and some of these girls, maybe the, the, the stronger athletic types 
traditionally haven't played as much golf. I'm not sure. Uh, but the ones that the evidence that I saw is they, I mean, they flush it. They hit it good. Yeah, that's a, it, the most dominant ladies haven't been the longest ones. No, they're the mechanically, they're the, the Lydia Coes, right, or the Annika Sorensons. They just like wear you out with just hitting the pin all day. Kari Webb wasn't that long, mm-hmm. right? And Jutanagarn is really long, but she doesn't hit driver very much. I, hear she, I, I didn't see her play. She was at the Australian Open last week. She won the Australian Open, right? Did she? No, uh, Nelly Corda won. Nelly Corda won. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, but someone was telling me about how good Jutanagarn hits it. She hits it really hard and it flies like a man's ball flight. So, uh, I mean, Michelle Wee was hitting at 300 yards at 14, which is absolutely insane. Did you ever play with her on tour? No, I didn't. Um, but she, yeah, that 10th hole at uh, Wiley, that Wiley that we play at the Sony, um, she was hitting it on that green when she was 12 or 13. And like, we're just driving it now. So she was super long. It's crazy. Um, she's a very impressive athlete. And perhaps there'll be more. I mean, it feels like the LPGA is on an uptick for me. I might be wrong, but it feels like it's going really well. There's a good balance of nationalities, and it's quite a popular sport now. It's a mega sport in Asia. Women's golf is a bigger sport in Korea and Japan than men's golf is, I think. Um, I I had that commissioner on, uh, Mike Wan, a couple of weeks ago. He said when... The Olympics. So, you know, when Tiger was in the States, you get like a seven rating, right? And mm-hmm. when uh, when MB Park wins in South Korea on the LPGA, they get like a seven rating. When she won the Olympics, they got a 28 rating. How's that? That's unbelievable. Isn't it? That's crazy. Yeah, it's huge over there. There's, an, I, there's a reasonable chance. I mean, I think women's golf is certainly got some catching up to do because it's never maybe been followed as much as it could have been. Um, but I think with the Asian influence, um, it's going to get bigger. And as I said, what I saw last week, we should do that in the U S we should definitely do what we did at the big open in the U S somewhere, somehow. Um, what about playing? It would be mutually beneficial, you know, both, both sides benefit. How cool would be alternate shot? LPGA, mm-hmm. you know, like men and women, where you're on a team, alternate shot. And then, like, I just think the strategy that would go into that would be. Certainly a team event would be great, wouldn't it? Like a New Orleans, maybe you do best ball. You do a best ball, you do foursomes, you do a scramble or something. Three-day deal, pairs. One man, one woman. Uh, yeah, that would be great. I think it'd be any any. The, the, the one we just did, the only there's only a couple of issues. The one we just did, we play two different courses, as I said, first day, and then they make the cut. And the European Tour and the LPJ, I think, cut to 65. So there's still 130-plus players trying to play the one course on the Saturday. That was difficult. And we had to have two draws, two waves, a morning draw and an afternoon draw. So you've got guys on the same or players on the same scores playing five or six hours apart, That's which – which doesn't really make the tournament. It kind of messes the integrity of the tournament a little bit, you know, mm. but that's really the only, and trying to find a spot on the range on Thursday, Friday, when there's 300 people warming up, that was, uh, <laughs> that was an interesting one too. But apart from a couple of those things, I think it would be a great 
thing to try somewhere else. And the equal prize money, the equal prize money, I think, uh, was a good thing. It's a well, it's not entirely good. It's obviously it's a great thing, and I think uh, it's great for women's golf and it's great for our golf. And I think it's something that should be replicated for sure. I I think that it it was a cool event. I watched I watched a couple of days of it. The golf course was pretty good too. It's a lot different when when it gets windy. Yeah, it's quite a linksy style. The beach course that we play the three rounds on, um, fun. I don't know how it presents on TV. It's a beautiful area, um, beautiful area. Ladies' event with the men would be total home run. Yeah, that's. I a- think. I mean, you find a two course venue because you have to have two courses, or you have a limited field event which maybe it could be they could be like a co-WGC kind of deal or something, you know, one of these smaller events, the girls' smaller event, and you play it concurrently on two different courses and then you alternate groups and what a TV spectacle and what a treat for fans, you know. How often, I mean, there's not many sports you have the ability to do that. Tennis, you can do it, you know, but not other many other sports you can. And I think it's a good example. I mean, it's it's in the the way the world has been with the battle of the sexes that seems to be going on at the moment. It'd be good too, right? Like it just seems to be the right thing. Hey, so last question before we, uh, we cut this thing. Uh, we're like six weeks out of masters. What, when you're getting ready for majors, when, when do you like start getting ready for majors or do you not even get ready for majors? Well, I kind of the masters is probably the the most obvious one to prepare for in that you're going to have lots of side hill lies which is quite obviously more than any other tournament we play because the ball holds on slopes at the masters that's what it does so I I would always try to if I was just playing at home just when I had my three irons and four irons, I would quite often like put just drop a ball on the ball way above my stance and hit a three iron and just do that two or three times a day for the couple of months before I had for the second shot to 13, you know, just get used to hitting a three iron with a ball above my feet again and little things like that. I would be doing that with the masters from Monday morning of the USPGA. <laughs> Basically I would think about the masters a little bit when I went to the range for quite a long time, because it's the one you all care about the most, because you have the longest time to think about it from the previous one, whereas the other ones come thick and fast. Once you've done the Masters, the US Open's coming, and then the Open comes. Those three come really fast on top of each other, or they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think the Masters is the one that got all the attention because it's also the obvious, the easiest one to set up for, to practice for, I think, because there's same course. obvious things you need to be. Yeah, same course. You know what shots you're going to get. You can close your eyes and visualize that shot on the fourth or whatever, and then open them and hit it on the rain. It's, you can do that stuff because you know what you're expecting. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't, I would just like to have it in my head. If I, when I went to the putting green or the course, or that's like, and just thought about playing well at Augusta, you know what I mean? For me, the most success I had wasn't really the particular shots and working on any shots. Cause I'm trying to work on shots all the time. Really. It was just getting your head around the fact that you're going to play well. You're just going to play well there. You're going to play well there. You're going to play well there. And I think quite often uh, that's quite powerful, you know, to just think it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I mean, that's the cool thing. I think the, 
for the fan, for the same reason, that's why Augusta's the best is because you remember all the holes. I mean, I could go up to my buddy who watches golf one time a year. He watches the Masters. He knows every hole out of Augusta, you know? That's yeah. I same. mean, everybody knows the course, even though they've never been there. It's like that's such a, that's one of the coolest things about it. That's actually why the players has a chance to become a major if they just say we're not a major because everybody knows <laughs> the, knows the course. Yeah, it's it's obviously like it should be because and it's a great course. It's been the same. It's evolving. They're, they're evolving it just like Augusta's always evolved. Um, it's got. It smacks of them trying to make it a bit like the Masters, the way it feels. But, um, yeah, the Players' Championship. But, like, so there'll be guys six weeks out. I mean, Jordan will be practicing his putting, you know, and he's pitching. Phil will be working on some slice driver and hook three wood or something. Bubba won't be doing anything different. Adam Scott will be, like, pairing the way he prepared. Everyone will have a different thing, but they'll all be well into it by now, six weeks out, I would think. Well, except for, as I said, but the guy like Bubba, he'll think about the Masters. Like, he'll probably think about it, but he's not, he wouldn't be preparing any different. He just plays golf every day, and he's just trying to play golf well every day. You know what I mean? I don't think he would be Augusta-specific. He's just doing what he normally does. And Dustin would be the same. I don't think he would be very Augusta-specific. But Jason Day, Adam Scott, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, you know the guys. I mean, the guys are really Phil, Harrington, or guys like that. You know what I mean? He's not playing there anymore, but... um they're really Bryson's. I mean, I'm sure Bryson's got like a like a notepad full of Augusta like things to work on and like sl- slopes and stuff. How about Phil just like picking up twenty yards at forty eight? It's a legend. I mean, could you be? I mean, he's if he's this, he's obviously an amazing athlete and incredible golfer, but he has such conviction when he decides that something is the way it is. He is so convinced that it can't not work. It just works because he is so convinced. And if he's convinced that he needs to find 20 yards, he'll just work out how to do it, tee it up high and change his driver. He's just brilliant. I just love it. He's just a legend. I, I can't uh, believe he picked up six miles an hour in clubhead speed in three months. How do you do that? Really? <laughs> I don't Everyone's know. trying to do that. Everyone is trying. No one can. It's absolutely, and at age 48, it's not like he's 22. So that's it's nuts. It's probably also in him to, to swing it slowly for a year just so he can make a bigger jump at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a bit rich. <laughs> that would be, uh, that'd be, that'd be a Phil, Phil thing to do. But, but what a legend, huh? I mean, it's, we need more Phil's. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a this was a good talk. I uh, hope everybody enjoys it, and we'll uh, we'll have you on uh, soon. Yeah, we'll come back. Let's do yeah. it. All right.